a good essay is that you get, you're not converted to simply seeing things the way the essay writer um, sees them, although that's what they want, but you are brought to a different perspective, which is, um, makes you see things that you might not otherwise have seen, which affects, which combines with what your perspective is anyhow. So it's not, um, so that's one way. That's if an essay, um, if you agree with what an essay says, no one ever agrees completely. So if you agree with what an essay says, that agreement should open up a new way for you, for your own ideas, not just for the essay's ideas. If you disagree, that's even better because what that enables you to do is to debate the essay. Um, so the, but the idea of the paper is that, the idea of the course and therefore the idea of the paper is that um, it's a way of triangulating um, on two Shakespeare plays with a background, um, some other Shakespearean background that you all have in one way or another, um, but triangulating two Shakespeare plays that Shakespeare is um, himself triangulating on because they're in some ways thematically similar, um, a very intense couple whose um, relationship to each other is um, eventually leads to uh, tragedy and disaster. Um, and, um, but couples who are also vastly, vastly different from each other. And um, you can tell, I hope, um, how interesting it is um, to see that Shakespeare is writing them at the same time. Um, and, um, the um, further triangulation then is with the perspective of um, some of the essay writers who have talked about um, some of the plays. So let's say to, I mean, I, I don't particularly want to steal your fire, um, but let's say Lionel Abel, sorry, I'm just trying to, turn down the ringer on my phone. Um, there we go. Let's say that Lionel Abel has an insight into Antigone and Macbeth. Um, how applicable is that insight into Antony and Cleopatra? Um, and be applicable, what do, um, to what extent does um, Antony and Cleopatra raise questions for the sort of thing that Abel is talking about in his essay. So that's, you know, with, without trying to say too much or, or, or prompt you, and, and, and this isn't particularly a thought that uh, uh, um, an um, so I'm taking that kind of at random, but you could see that um, uh, that question could lead to um, interesting arguments that you would make in which you're, t in which, um, you know, the idea of an English paper, really the idea of any paper um, is to, but the idea of, of papers in the humanities in general. Um, whether you're an undergrad, a grad student, um, a faculty member, 
um, a literary critic, um, a novelist, a poet, is that the act of writing is itself an act of, um, of getting and deepening insight. That writing itself uh, makes you think in a certain way that gives you insight. So if you've ever had the experience of um, starting a paper and you're making a certain argument and then you get to the end of the paper and you find that your conclusion seems to be contradicting what you'd said five pages or 10 pages earlier, um, lots of people are upset when that happens because it means that they think they've written an incoherent paper. And the truth is they have written an incoherent paper, but it also means that if they were now to do a second draft, they would, they've thought their way through to something. That is, if you find that you're contradicting yourself at the end of a paper, it means that writing the paper has made you think and, that, and that's good. Um, thinking because you're writing the paper um, means that you get to, you're somewhere different at the end of your paper from where you were at the beginning of your paper. And that's a really good thing when that happens. So the idea here is you'll be thinking differently about whatever critic or critics that you treat, thinking differently about um, the plays, thinking differently about the plays relation to each other. So is that at all help, helpful, Matt? I think so, yes. Um, okay. Yeah. I have one other question on the paper. So should it, should the topic of, should like the topic of our paper be about the um, other essays that we had to write or not that the other essays we had to write, the essays we had to read or should the topic be the plays and then we can use those essays like as evidence? You, whichever you prefer. So I'm imagining that most people would prefer to write about the plays and would use the essays and, you know, the, the primary sources also, um, North um, and, or Montaigne or whoever. Um, that is, uh, so by primary sources, I mean sources that Shakespeare read. And then um, the people who read Shakespeare, um, so there are people Shakespeare read like um, North and Hollinshead and Montaigne. Um, they're, um, they're Shakespeare, and then they're the people who read Shakespeare, starting, let's say, with Johnson and Coleridge and Hazlitt and going all the way up to um, contemporary critics, to Harold Bloom um, and, and Stanley Cavell. And um, uh, ideally, of course, the point of this play is advanced Shakespeare, so it's about getting more insight into Shakespeare. But you can, if you find that um, Cavell rocked your world, which um, I hope he did, um, then you might want to talk about the issues that Cavell is talking about. And, um, and if you want to argue with Cavell, you can argue with him by saying, well, Shakespeare actually gives you a different insight into skepticism or, um, you know, he's wrong that Cleopatra is not a skeptic, something like that. And um, then you'd be having a kind of philosophical argument with Cavell um, on what philosophical ideas to derive from Shakespeare. So that's a possibility. So it should be whatever, you should write about um, the things that you feel are um, the deepest insights um, that you can um, 
engage with, and those insights could be into Shakespeare or they could be into Cavell, um, or, um, but at some point they have to be, they're, they're inevitably gonna be insights into Shakespeare, but if you wanna argue with, with critics and if that's what you're interested in doing, that's, that's fine. Um, Cassie. Yeah, so I just wanted to ask if we're doing the second option, the like longer paper, um, if we didn't write a first paper, basically, is there a certain number of critics and like primary sources we have to engage with? Um, I think you should, um, if in all papers, both you should be writing about both plays, even if you wrote um, a first paper. Um, if you are if you're only writing one longer paper, you should um, have at least two external um, people, whereby external I mean primary source um, or critic. So you could do one primary source and one critic, you could do two critics, you could do two primary sources, whatever. Um, no, you should definitely do a critic, I'm sorry. Um, so at least one critic um, and um, you could, I think you could, yeah, I guess I didn't think this through. Um, you know, I, I, I really don't want to, let's put it, discourage you from reading all the critics that you were assigned. And because there isn't an exam in this class, it might be discouraging to you if um, you only had to deal with one of them. Um, so let's say you have to talk about in the longer, given in, in, in the course of your writing, whether it's two papers or one paper, you have to write about two different critics. And um, uh, you can then also add primary sources, but uh, you don't actually have to. Okay. Um, for the first paper, you said we have to uh, consider at least three critics. So I already considered three oh, critics. Really? First, yeah, I already considered three critics in the first paper. So, and also, like, how much do you want us to talk about each critic? Like, is um, like mentioning their argument not, in is like is summarizing. Not, I say. So, this is there are no rubrics here. I hate rubrics. <laughs> lots of people like rubrics. Students like rubrics. Lots of faculty like rubrics. I hate rubrics because then you are, then it's like um, putting a jigsaw puzzle together when the puzzle was already together and then it's been cut apart for you and now you have to put it together. So um, it's you, I want you to write the most interesting, um, serious paper you can write about these plays. That is, um, you know, don't, um, um, what you want to do is the kind of thing that you, that you want to do to some extent in class discussion, which is when you see something, you want other people to see it. And um, the kinds of things you want other people to see are the kinds of things that you think they won't see um, unless you, that it's something you noticed that um, you were happy to notice. Um, so I'm just talking about the most general kind of um, intellectual engagement that you have with other people. It's when you notice something that you're happy to notice, the fact that you're happy to notice it means that it was worth noticing. So if you're happy to notice it, um, then um, the fact that it's worth noticing means that you think it's worth other, it's worth other people noticing it as well. And the fact that you had this moment where you, where you were happy to notice it means that you're 
the default is people are probably not noticing it. And um, so what you want to do is have something that you're happy to notice and um, make me happy to notice it when I read your paper or make any reader of your paper happy to notice it when they do. Um, now, among the people who could be happy to notice what you're noticing are critics whom you are, um, whom, whom you are um, arguing against. So they may say something like, um, um, I don't know, Ant um, Octavia clearly loves Antony in a way that um, Cleopatra doesn't. And um, then you may notice something which proves that that's not true. And then you want to say, no, but dude, but you want to say dude in a very formal way, as in um, the really interesting article um, arguing that X, um, but that's essentially dude, um, don't you see that? And then um, get the person um, say something that you can't imagine the person wouldn't understand was right once they see it. So you want to see something that it's not, you know, it, it, it's, um, a, it, you all know this, but I'm just trying to be as explicit as possible about this, is that in um, everyday life, we see things that um, once you see them, they're clearly there. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like guessing a riddle. Um, once you know the answer to a riddle, it's obvious, but until you know it, it isn't. And um, so the point is that there's a breakthrough experience that you have, like when you guess a riddle. Um, and you should have a kind of slow motion version of that breakthrough experience when you think hard about any um, literary work that's worth thinking hard about. That's what makes it worth thinking hard about, is that the thought gets you somewhere that you're pushing against resistance. That's why you're thinking hard. You're pushing against resistance. But then um, you, by pushing against that resistance, you make headway. And um, so what you want to do then is do that for others. This is not something that's obvious that you're going to see. Um, you're telling other people, but I've, I'm pushing against resistance. And here, look at this and look at this. And whoa, um, isn't that cool how... Um, it turns out that things are, are different from what they seemed um, to a naive reader. But you yourself are the naive reader who, um, your past self is the naive reader um, whose naivete your thinking then overcomes. So that's what it means to be happy to notice something. But I think you guys shouldn't be so anxious about this. After all, Prue, what can you do? At the end, if you don't like your grade, for extra credit, <laughs> pass um, fail. Yes, you guys are entitled to do it as pass fail. But also, many of you have taken classes from me, so I really wouldn't worry that much. Just you know, write a decent paper. Okay. Don't be so anxious. Seriously. Don't be so anxious about this. Matt. Oh, okay. I thought you might, you might want to say something. Um, my screen is highlighting you. That's why. All right. Onward. 
Okay, so here we are in Act 3, Scene um, 7, and we have Cleopatra and Ina Barbas, and um, then Antony and Canidius are going to come in, um, and uh, then there will be a messenger. Um, so, Cleopatra. I'm going to start volunteering you. I'm not even going to ask. Okay. Um, I'm just going to do it on the basis of the order that you're in here. So Cassie, you're Cleopatra. Ina Barbas um, is Matthew. Um, and um, Anthony will be Ari. Um, and... Um, Canidius will be Nakul, and the messenger will be Grace. So go for it. Act three, scene seven. Sorry. I will be even with thee, doubt it not. But why? 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 Oh. Thou hast first spoke my being in these wars, and sayest it is not fit. So what do we just find out? What is it that, that Cleopatra's complaining to Nina Barbara's about? So she's, she's gotten mixed up in the conflict between Caesar and Antony, I'm assuming, and Ina Barbus had recommended against it yeah so she wants to she wants to fight as well that is she doesn't want to stay at home and just get messages as to how Antony's doing like Fulvia which is one reason that we find out why Fulvia was in the field early on what Shakespeare has remember the first messenger before Antony finds out that Fulvia is dead he finds out that Fulvia and his brother have gone to war against Caesar and um the reason that that's, an, that that's an important scene for the play as a whole is that it's telling you that this is a culture in which women can be military leaders or military presences as well. It's unusual, you know, Barbus is against it. It's um, something of a surprise to Antony maybe and to the audience, but it is not unheard of. So now Cleopatra wants to do the same thing, and she is um, angry at Ina Barbus for recommending against it. That was for both my being in these wars and say it is not fit. Ina Barbus? Well, is it? Is it? Cleopatra. Can you hear me? Oh, now I can, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Something was wrong with my audio. Okay. Is it not denounced against us? Why should we not be there in person? Well, I could reply if we should serve with horse and mares together. The horse were merely lost. The mares would bear a soldier and his horse. So what does that mean? Why don't cavalries have mares in them? They don't want the 
female horses and the male horses distracting each other. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Does, uh, so here the idea is the male horse is who? Antony and Cleopatra. Right. The horse and mirror would be Antony and Cleopatra. So um, the, the point is that they would distract each other. Cleopatra? Can't hear you, Cleopatra. What is it you say? I'm sorry. That's okay. Your presence needs must puzzle Antony. Take from his heart, take from his brain, from his time which should not then be spared. He is already traduced for levity, and tis said in Rome that Fatinus and eunuch and your maids manage this war. Sink Rome and their tongues rot that speak against us. A charge form, we- form, Grammatical form, what's that? Oh, it's well, a third-person third imperative. imperative. Yes, good. And a third-person imperative, again, in verbs that are not active. Um, so uh, this is her version of let Rome and Tiber melt, sink Rome and their tongues rot that speak against us. Okay, go on. A charge we bear in the war, and as the president of my kingdom will appear there for a man, speak not against it, I will not stay behind. Mm. Nay, I have done. Here comes the emperor. Is it not strange, Canidius, that from Tarentum and Brundusium he could so quickly cut the Ionian Sea and take in Torin? You've heard on it, sweet? Celerity is never more admired than by the negligent. So she's basically saying, yeah, you admire his speed because you're being negligent. Uh, kind of naughty boy moment. But notice again, this is, this is uh, Caesar's speed here. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week that when Caesar says to Octavia, I have eyes upon him and his affairs come to me on the winds. Now Antony is amazed by just how fast he is. Antony. A good rebuke, which might have well become the best of men to taunt its blackness. Canidius, we will fight with him by sea. By sea, what else? Canidius. Canidius. I think it was Grace, wasn't it? I thought I was the messenger. Oh, wait, so who's Canidius? All right, I'll just do Canidius. Um, why will my Lord do so? For that he dares us to it. So hath my Lord dared him to single fight. I, and to wage this battle at Pharsalia, where Caesar fought with Pompey. But these authors would serve not for his vantage, he shakes off, and so should you. So remember earlier, there was the question of fighting by land or by sea, who was master at land and who was, who was master at sea. And um, when Pompey was talking to Minas about fighting against Caesar and Antony, um, so... Antony is absolute master by land, um, by sea, not so much, but he, he, because he's daring Antony, Antony is willing to do it. Ina Barbados. Your ships are not well manned. Your mariners are militaries, reapers, people engrossed by swift impress. In Caesar's fleet are those that often have against Pompey fought. Their ships are yer, yours heavy. 
No disgrace shall follow you for refusing him at sea, being prepared for land. You're good. Nina Barbas. Most worthy sir, you therein throw away the absolute soldiership you do, you have by land. Distract your army, which doth must consist of war-marked footmen. Leave unexecuted your own renowned knowledge. Quite forgo the way which promises assurance, and give up yourself merely to chance and hazard from firm security. I'll let by sea. At sea. I have sixty sails. Seas are none better. Our overplus of shipping will we burn, and with the restful man from the head of Actium beat the approaching Caesar. But if we fail, we then can do it at land. So what do you make of that? Our overplus of shipping will we burn? Overflow is the measure? Like, is it like a no reference to that kind of thing? Yeah, so it's, it's our extra ships we're going to burn. We have, we have a lot of ships, but we're going to burn whatever's extra. Um, yeah, it's like the over and overflow. Um, and it's also typical of, of Antony's, um, and this is, this is kind of his leading characteristic in the play um, as a person, is that it's typical of his um, thriftlessness, typical of the way he squanders everything that he has. So Antony is um, the what you're going to be seeing now in the rest of the play, um, or at least through the end of Act Four, is a distinction between Antony and Caesar, where Caesar is, his character and characteristic is to be extremely careful with his resources, um, to be extremely um, thrifty with everything that he does. Um, the idea of waste is abhorrent to him. And Antony is the exact opposite of Caesar. What Antony does um, from the get-go, there's not a minute of our lives should stretch without some pleasure now. And remember, we essentially interpreted that as we don't have any time not to waste. There's so little time left that we can't afford not to waste any of it. So that's the paradox. What you're expecting it is, um, there's so little time left that we have no time to waste. But Antony is saying there's so little time left that we have no time not to waste. We shouldn't spend any of our time in anything but wastefulness. So Antony is the prince of wastefulness, the prince of what later will be called conspicuous consumption um, of his own resources. He is, in this way, he's the exact opposite of Caesar. And um, audiences and critics and readers who debate Antony and Cleopatra, one way of describing that debate is as a debate um, between those who think that Antony is um, um, insanely wasteful and those who think that Antony is magnificent, that what it means to be magnificent is um, not to um, be at all careful about your resources. And what you find a lot in late Shakespeare um, 
maybe not so much in Macbeth um, because uh, frugality is a um, standard um, characteristic um, assigned to, um, to people in Scotland, um, partly because Scotland was a much poorer kingdom than England. Um, but what you get in King Lear, where Lear gives away his kingdom um, and repeats over and over again, I gave you all what you get in Antony and Cleopatra, what you get in um, Timon of Athens, um, another late play of Shakespeare's in which Timon um, is absolutely um, generous, magnificently generous to everyone around him until he is bankrupt, um, finds himself bankrupt um, at the major plot point of the play and he has no idea that he's given everything that he has away, but he assumes people that he's helped before will help him back and they don't. Um, so, um, but Shakespeare is really interested in figures who are careless about their own resources and whose carelessness can turn into magnificence. And about Antony and Cleopatra is, do we approve of Antony for his magnificence? Or do we say, do we approve of Caesar for his wisdom? Nicole, what were you gonna say? Yeah, it's like kind of that also implicitly there in Hamlet too, because you've got Polonius who's like, we're not supposed to believe anything he says, but he's always talking about like, neither a borrower nor a lender be, or, and I think he says something about time and losing time also. Yeah, yeah, so Polonius certainly stands for um, and is often quoted as um, uh, um, providing proverbs for the virtues of, of thriftiness. And um, if you think that he's wrong, um, then you are maybe more on the Hamlet side of things because Hamlet is also a great waster. What he wastes is time. And if you go all the way back to Richard II, uh, it, you know, which is, which is a good, um, I don't know, 10 or 12 years before Antony and Cleopatra. Um, the, uh, Richard says at the end of the play, Richard is the wasteful king. Um, that's, um, that's his, that's his characteristic. And what he says in his soliloquy at the end is, I wasted time and now doth time waste me. So it's something that Shakespeare is thinking about from the start, but certainly in these late plays, he's making wastefulness a central idea, unthriftiness, uncarefulness, a central idea. So our overplus of shipping will we burn. Um, later you'll see Antony burning other things. Um, okay, go on from there, Antony. Um, thy business. The news is true, my lord. He is described. Caesar has taken Torrent. Can he be there in Peru? Tis impossible. Strange that his powers should be. Canidius, our nineteen legions thou shalt hold by land, and our twelve thousand horse. We'll to our ship. Away, my Thetis. How so now were these? Anyone know who Thetis is? She's a goddess. 
Yeah, famous as mother of? Achilles. Yeah. Um, so, <coughs> um, she, so, so the idea that she's a goddess and the mother of a warrior makes, makes that an interesting thing for Antony to call her. Again, notice that, that um, Caesar, again, is uncanny. Can he be there in person? Tis impossible. Strange that his power should be. So Caesar's, Caesar's rapidity is um, the thing that you could say corresponds to Antony's um, wastefulness, that Caesar is superhumanly fast, as though what he's doing is um, he's waging blitzkrieg. Um, and Antony is his energy goes to waste, whereas Caesar's energy goes to this kind of uncanny speed. Do you guys see how those are sort of um, orthogonal to each other, but that they're, but being placed into a kind of um, connection, a kind of opposition, that Caesar, Antony is super, I mean, the simple way of putting it, but I want you to feel this, is that Antony is super generous and Caesar is super fast. Um, it's like they, and those superpowers are not um, unrelated to each other because what it means is that neither of them is showing um, a kind of um, reticence or self, um, neither of them is withdrawing. But Caesar's um, uh, way of being present is to be really, really fast. Antony's way of being present is to be really, really um, generous. So there he is, enter a soldier, Antony. How now, soldier? I'll do the soldier. Oh, noble emperor, do not fight by sea. Trust not to rotten planks. Do you misdoubt this sword and these my wounds? So he's a soldier that Antony knows and who's fought a lot for Antony. He's gonna come back later in the play. Um, let the Egyptians and the Phoenicians go a-ducking. That is, let them um, uh, play in water. We have used to conquer standing on the earth and fighting foot to foot. Well, well, away. So Antony ignores him. By Hercules, I think I'm in the right. Was I also Canidius? Yep, all right. Soldier thou art, but his whole action grows not in the power on't. Um, so he's not doing um, what, where, he's, his action isn't um, growing out of where he has power. So our leaders led and we are women's men. Um, someone else do the soldier. I'm going to call on Nicole, you do the soldier. Um, you keep by land, the legions and horse hold, do you not? Marcus Octavius, Marcus Justusius, Publicola. Oh, where? Oh, yes, no Sophia here. She should be doing all these names. Okay. Um, Marcus Octavius, Marcus Justeus, um, Publicola and Caelus are for sea, but we keep hold by land. And then this speed of Caesar's carries beyond belief. While he was yet in Rome, his power went out in such distractions as beguiled all spies. 
Who's his lieutenant? Hear you? They say one Taurus. Well, I know the man. Okay, messenger. The emperor calls Canidius. Um, and my, oh, I'm Canidius too. Uh, with news, the times in labor and throws forth each minute some. So um, things are getting very hectic very fast. Okay, so here's Caesar and Taurus, whom we've just heard about. Um, that is, he's Caesar's lieutenant. So uh, just very quickly, um, Matt, you be Caesar, and Alex, you be Taurus. Taurus. Yes. Sorry, getting the page. <clears throat> My lord. Strike not by land. Keep hold. Provoke not battle till we have done at sea. Do not exceed the prescript of this scroll. Our fortune lies upon this jump. Okay, so jump. Think that, yeah, Cassie. Uh, is this like jumping the bank and shoal of time from Macbeth? Yeah, jumping the life to come, risking it. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, nice. Do you, th do you agree? Cassie? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good coming from you. Um, all right. Notice um, this is something that we don't talk much about when we talk about Shakespeare's poetic form. Um, but I think that there are a lot of really interesting enjambments in Antony and Cleopatra. Um, that is to say, which you kind of hear on stage um, because if you are hearing lines as iambic pentameter, you're also hearing line endings. That's just a fact. Um, so you kind of hear the enjambments on stage um, and you certainly see them on the page and the actor playing the role sees them on the page. And so what, we, you, what you have is do not exceed. That in a sense could be Caesar's motto, do not exceed. Um, what he says is, don't go further than I'm giving you orders for. Do not exceed the prescript of this scroll. But you could say here is the difference between Antony and Caesar. Antony's motto seems to be always exceed. Um, and Caesar's is do not exceed. Um, William Blake in the Proverbs of Hell has a great proverb, enough or too much. That is, he calls for um, everyone getting, um, doing what they want to the fullness, that is doing it enough or even doing more than that, too much. So exceed would be Antony's motto or in Blake's motto, um, do not exceed is Caesar's motto. Um, okay. Um, um, so, uh, Antony is just a very, very quick uh, speech of Antony's. I'll just read it. Set, we are squadrons on yon side of the hill and I of Caesar's battle from which place we may the number of the ships behold and so proceed accordingly. So Antony and Cleopatra, I mean, Antony and Ina Barbaros are going to watch the battle. Stage direction in scene 10, Canidius marcheth with his land army one way over the stage and Taurus, Lieutenant of Caesar the other way after they're going in is heard the noise of a sea fight. And now we need Ina Barbus and Scarus. So I think it's, um, Matt, is it your 
No, whose turn is it? Um, let's start calling the grad students too. E, um, can you be Ina Barbas and Sung Kyung? Um, can you be Scaris Elvi? We are at Act Three, Scene Ten. Uh, not, not all, not. I can behold no longer the Antonia, the Egyptian admiral, with all their sixty, fly and turn the rudder. To see it, my eyes, my eyes are blasted. So now they've watched. Remember, Anthony and Nina Barbas have um, <coughs> watched what's gone, what's happened, and now we find out what's happened. And Ina Barbas comes in alone. He's left Antony behind. So enter Scaris. Gods and goddesses, all the world, synod of them. What's thy passion? The greater cantle of the world is lost with very ignorance. We have kissed away kingdoms and provinces. So notice there, we have kissed away kingdoms and provinces. So Antony blew it, fighting the way he did, he blew it. Um, and um, just kissing it away. Um, it, just in the same way that Ina Barbas has said, you throw away the absolute, um, um, sorry, I'm just looking for the line. Um, um, at, in, at Act 3, Scene 7, Line 41, most worthy sir, you therein throw away the absolute soldiership you have by land. So throwing stuff away now that turns into, we have kissed away kingdoms and provinces. Ina Barbas. How appears the fight? On our side, like this token pestilence where death is sure. So a reference to the plague, just mentioning. Young rebarded nag of Egypt, whom leprosy or take, in the midst of the fight when vantage like a pair of twins appeared both as the same or rather our the elder the breeze upon her like a cow in june hoist sails and flies so what happened so they were fighting by sea and what was happening We don't get to see them, so we so we have to hear the description. Is vantage advantage? Yes. So um, the fight was um, the advantage, um, or the advantage is it not quite, but it means um, something you can, advantage is something you can take advantage of. So vantage there means um, that, um, th that there was possibility on both sides. So vantage was like a pair of twins that appeared both as the same. Each side looked um, like it was on, the verge of a breakthrough against the other side, or rather ours, the elder. So what does that mean? If, if, if there's a pair of twins, advantage is a pair of twins, but ours is the elder, what does that mean? We had slightly more of an advantage. 
yes, we had, we had a very slight advantage. It was very close, but we had a very slight advantage. And then what happened? Cleopatra fled. Cleopatra fled, yes. So things are going terribly. Why? Because that um, rib odred nag of Egypt, no one quite knows what that word means, um, but it seems to contain the word ribald in it, um, maybe also be ribboned. So that nag of Egypt, what does the word nag mean? Does anyone know? It's like, it's a, it can, it can mean, you know, someone that is like nagging you literally, but it also is an animal, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, what kind of animal? I think it's either like, it's like a horse or a donkey. It's a horse. What animal? kind of horse? Old. And it's a, yeah, but it's female. It's like an old female horse. Yeah. Yes. So the thing about, so we're picking up on the mare imagery, except boy is Scaris pissed off. So he's just insulting her um, beyond limits. That nag of Egypt, whom leprosy or take. Um, what kind of imperative? Easy question. Third person imperative. Nice, thank you. So in the midst of the fight, the breeze upon her like a cow in June, um, hoist sails and flies. Um, so she just, the war's too much, of her, too much for her. Um, the footnote will tell you that breeze is a kind of fly that bothers cows like a horse fly. Um, and, um, but it probably also goes back to the breeze that was cooling Cleopatra when Antony first saw her. Um, so, and it's the wind, the breeze is also the wind um, that would catch the sail that she hoists. So Cleopatra is in the midst of battle and suddenly she panics and she leaves. You know, Barbus? That I beheld. Mine eyes did sicken at the sight and could not endure a further view. Once being loosed, the noble ruin of her magic, Antony, clasps on his sea wing and, like a doting mallard, leaving the fight in height, flies after her. I never saw an action of such shame, experienced manhood, honor, never before devilist itself. So as soon as he sees her going, what does he do? He chases after her? Yeah, he's worried about her. Oh no, Cleopatra, she's frightened. I gotta go help her. So um, he is the noble ruin of her magic. Um, her magic has ruined him. And he's still noble. He's still Antony. Um, probably, I have a strong theory that, um, that Antony and Cleopatra was Milton's favorite play. And um, the moment in Paradise Lost when Satan is described as, nor seemed he less than archangel ruined, um, the idea of Satan looking like a ruined archangel is just a fantastic description of, it, of him. I think that Milton is echoing, um, whether consciously or not, the noble ruin of her magic. So Antony goes um, chasing after her, and this is shameful as far as Scaris is concerned. 
Um, we'll need a candidious, so I'm going to call on Talia to be candidious. Um, Ina Barvis, go on. Alack, alack. Canidius comes in. Our fortune on the sea is out of breath and sinks most lamentably. Had our general been what he knew himself, it had gone well. No, 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 stop, stop. Do you, um, it, does your edition have a dash around himself or not? Uh, no. Okay, so um, just trying to, uh, yeah, okay, the folio doesn't either. I'm just looking at the bottom. Um, this edition thinks, had he been what he knew, namely himself, it had gone well. So had um, he been himself at any rate is the implication here. Where did we first see that? Antony will be himself. Antony will be himself. Um, and um, there, and remember it's sometimes when he is not Antony, he comes short of that great quality, which, which still should go with being Antony. So the question of being Antony and whether Antony can be Antony, how well Antony can be Antony, here it is coming up again. Um, it will keep coming up and um, to in a spectacular moment in act four. Um, so again, I just wanna draw your attention to that theme in the play, which is Antony being himself. Okay, so um, go on, Talia. In what he knew himself, it had gone well. Oh, he has given example for our flight most grossly by his own. Hi, are you there, Belts? Why then, good night indeed. So do you really think that? Well, then it's over. Toward Peloponnesus, they are fled. How do you say that? Um, Peloponnesus. Okay, toward Peloponnesus, they are fled. It's east to it, and there I will tend to what further comes. To Caesar will I render my legions and my horse. Six kings already show me the way of yielding. So notice that Antony's allies now are, um, are surrendering. I'll yet follow the wounded chance of Antony, though my reason sits in a wind against me. So Ina Barbus is going to stay loyal to Antony, I'll yet follow the wounded chance of Antony, even though it's against reason, though my reason sits in the wind against me. Um, okay, then a uh, fantastic um, speech of Antony's. So let's see, Elvie, it's your turn. Okay. Hark, the land bids me tread no more upon it. It is a shame to bear me. Friends come hither, I'm so late Later in the world that I have lost my way forever. I have a ship laden with gold. Take that, divide it, fly, and make your peace with Caesar. Okay, so I'll be all, but just again, notice this amazing enjambment. Um, friends come hither. I am so laden in the world that I, and it's like he runs out of line that he's just paused at the precipice of that line. The line begins and ends with the word I. And um, if you just hear the cognitive music of that line, hark, the land bids me tread no more upon it. It is ashamed to bear me. So the word shame was precisely the word that Scarus used 
um, about how Antony has um, behaved. Um, I never saw an action of such shame. Antony agrees, the land is ashamed to bear me. Friends, come hither. I am so lated in the world that I have lost my way forever. Um, the image, the metaphor here is I stayed out so late, the sun set. Um, it's now so late into darkness that I will never find my way home. It's an amazing image. Um, and the way the line is written, I am so late in the world that I have lost my way forever. And then he does the Antony thing. I have a ship laden with gold. So what Macbeth would do with a ship laden with gold is go take it somewhere and hide and, and um, use the money either to protect himself or to raise an army again, but not Antony. I have a ship laden with gold. Take that, divide it, fly, and make your peace with Caesar. So we've just seen people betraying Antony and surrendering to Caesar, but now he's telling them to do that. So all then say, fly, not we, Antony. I have flat myself and have instructed cowards to run and show their shoulders. Friends begone, I have myself resolved upon a course which has no need of you. Begone. So what, what course do you think he's resolved on? He's saying, take everything, I don't need you, leave me alone. What do you think his plan is? To make peace with Caesar? No. To kill himself? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is the Roman. This is the Roman solution to um, desperate failure. It's what Brutus did. It, it it's what um, um, Cato did. It's uh, it's it's um, part of Roman nobility. Okay, go on. Be gone. My treasures in the harbor. Take it. Oh, I follow that. I blush to take to look upon. My very hairs do mutiny, for the white reprove the brown for rashness, and they them for fear and doting. So, Friends be gone. So his white hairs are saying, the, the, the more experienced part of him, his white hairs are saying that his brown hairs were too rash, and his brown hairs are saying his white hairs were um, fear, fearful and doting, and there was no um, everything he did was wrong. So friends be gone, go on. You shall have letters from me to some friends that will sweep your way for you. Pray you look not sad, nor make replies of loathness. Take the hint which my despair proclaims, that that be left which leaves itself to so the seaside straightway. Notice all those selves. So um, he, had, he, had he known himself, had Antony been what he knew himself, I have fled myself and then let that be left, which leaves itself. That is, I am, I should be left. You should abandon me. You should leave me because I have left myself. Not I too have left, but I have left myself behind. Um, I am no longer what I was. So again, encouraging his men, go on Elvie. 
to the seaside straight away. I will possess you of that ship and treasure. Leave me, I pray, a little. Pray you now, nay, do so. For indeed I have lost command. Therefore I pray you, I'll see you by and by. So notice the word, notice his um, line, I have lost command. Um, Antony's gonna have several more lines where he talks about what he's lost. Okay, we need Cleopatra, Charmian, Eros, and Iris. Um, so we can just circle back. Now I think we'll, we'll just circle back. I want everyone to be reading. Um, uh, Elisa and Tish, are you, are you willing to read as well? And Cheryl? Sure. Okay, good. So why don't, why don't you do this scene and then we'll circle back to the beginning. So um, we need Cleopatra. Why don't we have that um, um, be, sorry, we have Cheryl and Elisa, why don't you be Cleopatra? Is that okay? Mm -hmm, sure. Okay. And then um, Cheryl, uh, you can be Charmian, Tish, you can be Iris. And then we'll go back to Cassie can be Eros. So Eros. Nay, gentle madam, to him, comfort him. Do, most dear queen. Do? Why? What else? Let me sit down, O Juno. Oh, and then... Um... No, 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 no. Okay, good. See you here, sir. Oh, fie, fie, fie. Madam. Madam, oh, good empress. Sir, sir. Yes, my lord, yes. He at Philippi kept his sword even like a dancer. While I so, struck... Wait, 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 stop right there. So he's now remembering the battle at Philippi where they defeated, where Antony and Octavian... Um, defeated Brutus and Cassius. Mm -hmm. And here he's describing what, um, what Octavian was like. He kept his sword even like a dancer. Um, he has all this grace, but he's, he never fights. Um, that's the thing about Caesar is that he is the commander, but he's not a fighter. Whereas, um, and now Antony is just describing again this kind of magical beauty that Caesar has. It's like his speed. He's got a kind of supernatural presence, but it doesn't take the form of ever putting himself at risk. Um, later, you'll see that he won't engage in um, a single fight, which Antony proposes, um, that the two of them should just have single combat to see who wins. An idea that goes back to the Iliad, um, in literature, um, a proposal for single combat. Um, but no, he at Philippi um, kept his sword in like a dancer. And when he says, yes, my Lord, yes, um, who do you think he's talking to? Is it Eros? He wouldn't, he, I don't think so. I think he's kind of lost in thought and he's Is kind it of- Caesar? It might be an imaginary version of Caesar, maybe a parodic version of Caesar. 
Um, slight, I mean, not parodic as in, oh, yes, my lord, yes, but uh-huh, yeah. Uh, the way you kept your sword even as a dancer. Or it might be just a general, um, let me just um, explain what happened to some anonymous um, peer of Antony's. But it's like he's a little bit, at least for a moment, losing his grip on reality. And then he had Philip, he kept his sword in like a dancer. Okay, go on. While I struck the lean and wrinkled Cassius, and twas I that the mad Buddha standed, he alone dealt on, uh, how do you read that? Um, lieutenantry. Lieutenantry. And no practice had in the brave squares of war, yet now no matter. So notice that, um, the thing that Canidius and um, others have, and Minas have complained about is that it's always the lieutenants who do the work, but the leaders get the credit. But here Antony is saying um, truthfully that that isn't true, that um, Antony fought, whereas Caesar would let his lieutenants do the fighting for him. Um, remember the description of Cassius, what Julius Caesar says of Cassius in um, Julius Caesar, anyone remember the famous line? Jan Cassius. Lean and hungry look. Yes, Jan Cassius hath a lean and hungry look. Surround me with fat men, says Caesar. So this idea of the lean and wrinkled Cassius, um, that's getting, that gets picked up from Julius Caesar. Yet now, no matter. Okay, Cleopatra. Ah, uh, stand by. Heroes. The queen, my lord, the queen. Go to him, madam, speak to him. He is unqualified with very shame. So well, do you have, wait, do you have unqualified? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, sorry, unquality, sorry. So what does that mean? He is not adequate to be Antony. It literally means he's castrated. Um, that's, that's a, or it's a standard, um, way of describing, uh, castration to be unqualified. Um, your quality as it, 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 your quality as a man is taken away from you. So that, so Iris who knows men, um, is now saying, look how much he's lost. He's unqualified with very shame. Okay. Cleopatra. Will then sustain me, oh. Heroes. Most noble sir, arise. The queen approaches. Her head's declined and death will seize her, but your comfort makes the rescue. I have offended reputation, the most unnoble swerving. Sir, the queen. Oh, whither hast them let me, Egypt? See how I convey my shame out of thine eyes by looking back what I have left behind, destroyed in dishonor. Okay, so that I think is another amazing speech, which may be a little bit opaque to you the first time you read it, but he, he addresses her, Egypt, oh, whither has thou let, led me, Egypt? He's going to address her the same way at the very end of act four. Um, and then he says, look at me, look, how I'm not looking at you. See 
how I convey my shame out of thine eyes. Um, look how I am not looking at you in the eyes because I, I'm so ashamed to look at you because you've so shamed me. I'm so ashamed that I was shamed by you that I turn away and I am even willing to look at the disaster that was destroyed through my dishonor. I'm willing to look at that extraordinarily painful fight, um, fight so as not to um, have my shame seen by you. So this is what you've done to me. You've led me to a place where I am going to accept the worst possible pain, looking at what I've lost in order not to feel ashamed by looking at you. And that, oh. that, that's who you were to me. Okay, Cleopatra. Oh, my Lord, my Lord, forgive my fearful sails. I little thought you would have followed. Egypt, thou knowest too well, my heart was to thy rudder, tied by the strings. And thou shouldst tell me after, over oh. my spirit, thy full supremacy thou knowest, and that thy back might be from the bidding of the gods command me. Oh, my pardon. Now I must to the young man send humble treatings, dodge and palter in the shifts of lowness, who with half the bulk over the world played as I pleased, making and marring fortunes. You did know how much you were my conqueror, and that my sword made weak by my affection would obey on all cause. Pardon, pardon. Fall not a tear, I say. One of them raids all that is won and lost. Give me a kiss. Even this repays me. We send our schoolmaster. Is he come back? Love, I am full of lead. Someone within here, within there, and our viands? Yeah, that's our meat, our food. Oh, okay. Thought she knows we scorn her most when most she offers blows. What happened there? He forgives her and is ready to go back to a feast. Yeah, but it happens from one instant to the next. That is, um, you did know how much you were my conqueror. He's just lashing out at her and that my sword made weak by my affection would obey it on all cause. That is, my sword would obey my affection rather than um, my duty. Um, and there's a strange anti-phallic um, meaning to the word sword there. That is, my sword is made weak by my affection, um, which is not the standard metaphor, but the point is that, yeah, he's been unqualitied. Um, would obey my affection on all cause. Again, she says, pardon, pardon. The next line, this is what we were talking about last, last Friday, um, about how you can tell what people are supposed to do by the reactions that are written for them. Um, Fall not a tear, I say, indicates to you that Cleopatra is about to weep. And Antony, suddenly, as soon as that happens, he gives a third person imperative. Mm -hmm. 
let not a tear fall, but he doesn't even use the let with the, with these, with the implication of second person, that is, don't allow a tear fall. He tells the tear not to fall. Fall not a tear, I say. And instantaneously, he goes from rebuking her to um, being back with her and, his, um, and he becomes optimistic again. And that instantaneous change, you're going to see that again in a second scene like that in, 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 um, later on in the play after the second battle of Actium. But that instantaneity, that's like not a minute of our lives should stretch without some pleasure now. It's that for Antony, things can change in an instant. He is willing in an instant to forgive Cleopatra. And that will now turn out to be um, in this last third of the play, that will turn out to be um, the most intense aspect of their relationship is his quickness to um, throw away all resentment, to throw away every cause that he has to be angry at her um, simply um, and magnificently to um, be with her. So when he says one of them rates all that is won and lost, he's throwing away all that he's lost, everything, all those kingdoms. Um, he's saying they're not worth a single tear of Cleopatra's. So again, Antony's... Um, um, Ant Antony's um, magnificence, his um, unthriftiness, his um, um, willingness uh, to, to um, burn everything that is extra, where the only thing that isn't extra is Cleopatra or her tears. You see it coming back there. Fall not a tear, I say your tears are worth more to me than all that is won and lost. Give me a kiss. So again, the noblest of life is to do thus from act one, scene one. Even this repays me. So he's willing to give up everything for a kiss from Cleopatra. That repays him for everything that he's lost. We sent our schoolmaster um, the last ambassador that he has. We sent our schoolmaster, is he come back? Love, I am full of lead. I'm really tired. Um, some wine within there and me and our meal. Um, Fortune knows we score her most, most, she offers blows. So suddenly he's back to himself. Um, as I say, this is, um, I think fall not a tear, I say, is one of the great lines in the play. Um, but there's going to be an even more this is setting up an even more amazing moment of his return to himself. Um, okay, we need, we're up to Matthew. Um, so Matthew, you're Caesar, Prue, you're Agrippa, Ari, you're Dolabella, and um, Nicole, um, uh, you can be Thidius if we get that. Yeah, we'll, we should get that far. Nicole, you can be Thidius. So, Caesar. Sorry, just a question. Yeah. Um, could another reason, like, um, for Antony's um, immediate change be kind of that Cleopatra's tears are, like, 
this reminder of her humanity kind of thing. Yeah, but it's it, more than a reminder of her, her humanity. It's a reminder that she's Cleopatra. Um, and um, that the later on, there's going to be a moment where um, uh, Antony, um, where Cleopatra says the line is, since Antony is himself again, I will be Cleopatra, which picks up from um, I'll seem the fool I am not Cleopatra um, will be, I mean, uh, um, Antony will be himself, but later that shifts into since Antony is himself again, I will be Cleopatra. So it's not just that she's human, it's that she is um, Cleopatra. And that's the only thing that matters to Antony. Um, LV, I think it would be let not a, let not a tear fall. Um, the footnotes often give you drop for fall. Um, I'm trying to see if this footnote does it. Let, um, do not let a tear fall. Yeah, that's the footnote. Um, but um, I think that Shakespeare really wants the command to um, apply to the tear, and he's telling the tear not to fall. Okay, let's quickly do a little bit of this. Caesar. Let him appear that's coming from Antony. Know you him? Caesar, tis his schoolmaster. An argument that he has plucked, whether he's poor his wing, which had superfluous kings for messengers not many moons high. So he used to have, Antony had so much extra, so much overplus, that he had superfluous kings for messengers not many moons gone by. Uh, the word superfluous is really interesting. Um, it literally means overflowing, flowing above, superfluous. Um, it's a word that's used often in King Lear. Um, let the superfluous and lust-dieted man who does not um, see because he will not feel, feel your power shortly. Or Gloucester says, ask the heavens to shake the superflux, no, it's Lear also, to shake the superflux to the poor and show the heavens more just. Um, okay, here comes the schoolmaster. Um, oh, I didn't say the, I'll be the ambassador. Okay, so Caesar. Approach and speak. Such as I am, I come from Antony, I was of late as petty to his ends as is the morn dew on the myrtle leaf to his grand sea. Be it so, declare thine office. But notice Caesar's efficiency. Lord of his fortunes, he salutes thee and requires to live in Egypt, which not it requires there means asks. Um, it's like the Spanish um, cuero. Um, requires to live in Egypt, which not granted, he lessens his requests and to thee soothes to let him breathe between the heavens and earth, a private man in Athens, this for him. Next, Cleopatra does confess thy greatness, submits her to thy might, and of thee craves the circle of the Ptolemies for her heirs, now hazarded to thy grace. So she just wants to be queen of Egypt. Caesar. For Antony, I have no ears to his request. The queen of audience nor desire shall fail so she from Egypt drive her all disgraced friend or take his life there. This, if she perform, she shall not sue unheard. So to them both. So Caesar rejects the plans. Fortune pursue thee. Notice the form. 
If I say notice the form, you answer. Third person imperative. Good. Bring him through the bands, second person imperative. Caesar, go on. To try thy eloquence now, tis time. Dispatch from Antony when Cleopatra, promise, and in our name, what she requires, add more. From thine invention offers. Women are not in their best fortune strong, but want will perjure the ne'er-touched vestal. Try thy cunning, Phidias, make thine own edict for thy pains, which we will answer as a law. Caesar, I go. Observe how Antony becomes his flaw, and what thou thinkst his very action speaks in every power that moves. Caesar, I shall. Okay, so the plan now is to split Antony from Cleopatra. Um, Caesar is um, sending Phidias to, um, to try to talk Cleopatra into giving Antony up. And that's what we will pick up with on Friday. So, um, okay, we're getting there. Um, see you guys Friday and uh, stay healthy. Um, Elvie, do you want to stay on or? Um... Yeah, that would do. Okay. All right. See everybody else. Professor Flash, um, do you have the code for me? Wait, say it again. The code? Oh, do you want to email? Oh, right. Me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry because I asked you to stay on too. I'll just email you, okay? And LV, actually, you shouldn't stay on because it'll be recorded if you do. So oh, okay. Um, okay. No worries. Thank you. Okay. Um, so Alex, um, in the next half hour or so. Um, so uh, can you send me another Zoom link or? Yeah I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll send it to you over email in a minute. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. And um, Tish, I'll email you as well. Okay. And, thank you. Okay. Ari, do you? Are you sticking around for a reason or no? Okay.